1: What's up? Welcome in, GC Live, Monday episode of the show. Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, breaking down South Carolina's 41-20 loss at Tennessee. We're going to hit on anything and everything having to do with that game as South Carolina rolls into the bye week, sitting now at 2-3, and 1-2 and two in SEC play. First of all, I'm going to tell you about our friend Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-696. 33. If you want more information, again, just head on over to ClintHammond.com. Good friend of the show, also a good friend of mine personally. Great dude, great Gamecock, huge supporter of South Carolina Athletics, and, of course, the show right here for actually over two years now. So shout out to Clint uh, and Movement Mortgage Mortgages That Mean More. His NMLS number is 71597. You can also reach him on his cell phone, 803 422 6797, or you can just send him an email, clint.hammond at Again, if you are in the market for a new home or maybe you want to look into refinancing, give Clint a shout. He'll talk to you about all of your options there. And also, right off the bat, Chris, let's go ahead and thank our friends over at Liberty Tax. Overcome your tax ID, 803 462. 5976 or 5576. Let me correct myself 803 462 5576. If you are, everybody's got to do their taxes. So if you want to get a head start and get a feel for what might be ahead for you, go ahead and call our friends at Liberty Tax and they can come up with a tax plan for you, just like they did for Chris Clark and his family.
0: Yep. Larry and his team do an outstanding job. Absolutely no tax anxiety in the Clark household because. We have met with Larry. We have talked with Larry via phone. We have emailed with Larry. We have texted with Larry. That shows you the commitment to customer satisfaction that he has. He's super helpful. He's super knowledgeable. We feel great having him on our team, Wes. So hit up the team at Liberty Tax, Larry, 803-462-5576.
1: We definitely appreciate both of those awesome sponsors. And, We appreciate you for joining us, Uh, Gamecock fans. I know a little bit down, maybe a little bit hurt. This is a game that, um, you know, I I believe was going to be tough to win going in, even though I did, looking back for some reason, pick South Carolina to win the game. Um, I I think we all knew it was going to take a great effort from South Carolina, that it was going to take a game where they played well. Um, You know, I I thought they were going to have to win the turnover battle fairly handily they did end up winning the battle but um and even stole another possession on a on a fake punt which you know some of the things you need to happen if you were South Carolina just from an execution standpoint um happened now some of the things that i call more just like throughout the course of the game type things such as can you consistently protect your passer can you uh, get a consistent running game going um you know can you Tackle in space against an offense that is built to make you, to kind of force you to tackle in space. Um, you know, just to me, Chris, it was one of those games, even when it was kind of, it's still a 14-point game in the second half. It just felt kind of like Tennessee was in command. You kept waiting. Can South Carolina get another big play? That, of course, the long touchdown run by Mario Anderson, but Other than that, I thought Tennessee, after giving up so many big plays to South Carolina last year, just did a really good job of limiting South Carolina's explosive plays, which is something their offense has been uh, really good at for most of this year.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a ton to unpack from the game, Wes, but I I keep going back to this one particular play, and that is uh, right before the half you have South Carolina with what a – a a third and long, was it third and 22? Is that right? It was was a third and long, Um, backed up in their own territory. Um, And you're, you go to throw the football, right? And you give up the pick six. And that was an absolute backbreaker, I think, in this game, because at, at that point, Wes, you were down just one touchdown. Now, Shane Beamer has explained this afterwards and said that, in that situation, they trusted Spencer Rattler. Uh, they did not want to uh, have to punt to D. Williams. We saw, we we knew he was dangerous. Pete Limbo talked about how dangerous he was last week, uh, and we saw even in the game. You know, he had that long punt return, that explosive punt return that was called back due to a Tennessee penalty. Um, I understand not wanting to punt to him in that situation, but you said, you told me this earlier on the GC takeover hour 1075. you used the term risk reward. And right there you have, I, I went back and looked West because the throw to Omega Blake was probably not your primary option. You actually had trips um, to the left and you had what appeared to be two deeper routes. And then you had the shorter route to uh, Omega Blake kind of over there on the sideline. And then you had to uh, joiner was in the game. He ran like a, maybe an option or choice or out from the running back position. Tennessee kind of backed off in coverage, showed blitz, backed off in coverage. And Rattler goes – he gets a little bit of pressure from the left side, goes to throw that football, and it's a pick six. And then now that puts you down by 14, right? Um, going into the half with Tennessee getting the football back. Um, in that situation, you're down 14 instead of maybe down by seven. And then Tennessee goes and marches right down the field, 12 plays, 75 yards, just over four minutes on the drive. And now it's a three-touchdown game. And, you know, I, I think that was just a really backbreaking breaking play, Wes. And it kind of um, made it difficult, I think, for South Carolina to come back, especially with some of the other issues that we saw in the game. Uh, yeah, Anderson came back with the 75-yard touchdown run but some of the problems that we have seen at times this season for South Carolina, we saw again in this game.
1: Well, I I would say that most of the problems we've seen, most of the just plaguing problems for most of this year were the reasons South Carolina lost this game. And I I think, you know, and I, I really actually should have led off with that to start the show big picture, and that is that You know, the inability to consistently protect Rattler in the pocket, particularly edge rush, tackle position. Not that it's been perfect across the board, but you go back, you know, I'm trying to get through a rewatch here. A lot of the pressure was outside pressure where your guys are just kind of getting beat by speed. And, um, you know, then I feel like that stacks. When your quarterback's getting hit consistently under pressure, he starts to see things even when they aren't there. You know, looking back, the pressure was there quite a bit. Um, You know, there actually were some decent things in the running game, but still just not consistent enough to keep Tennessee from kind of pinning their ears back, especially as the game wore on. Um, It was good to see them finally get an explosive out of the run game where you just see a guy break off a run, perfectly blocked by Rashawn Lee and uh, Nick Garjulo on that play. And so that was good to see. There were a couple other little eight yards here, nine yards there in the running game that were good, just not not quite enough, not consistently enough. And then, you know, on the, on the defense, just um, not quite able to get off the field enough. You still give up over 250 yards rushing. I thought they made Tennessee earn some of those. Some of them came on the, you know, a few chunk plays as well. But just not good enough. And I, I think, for one, too often, we don't give the opponent credit, like a, a fan base just, you know, oh why, why can you protect the passer last week against Mississippi State, but you can't this week? A lot of that was James Pierce, who South Carolina recruited, getting nine pressures on the evening. Like, this dude's pinning his ears back. He was a four-star guy. He was a stud out of high school, and, um, you know, he – they, they looked really – Tennessee, to me, looked really, really good up front at getting after you, especially when they knew what you needed to do. So your scenarios, you're down or end of half, third and long, or backed up in the shadow of your own goalpost And then, on the other hand, third and short, fourth and short, your kind of must-run situations. I thought Tennessee did a really good job of just selling out, winning their one-on-one battles in those situations too. So this is a team that when they're in a situation where the opponent kind of knows what they have to do, um, that little extra that that gives your opponent kind of just overwhelms South Carolina at this point, which is why you have to throw the ball on fourth and one. They try that. They throw the ball to Leggett. It looks like it's there but the throw is just a little bit off. If he can lead him upfield a little bit more, it's a first down. But that's where just kind of all the things you have to do, because of going back to the initial issues, all the other things that it creates is why you're in that position to where you're not just saying, look, run it up the middle, first down, let's move the chains.
0: Well, and that's why when South Carolina this season is playing teams that Uh, are pretty close to them or are favored to win, which is West this year. I mean, just about every game, right? Um, They've got to be better, you know, in those situations. And so, look, I I think it's easy now that the game is over to go back and kind of re-litigate, you know, should South Carolina have managed the game this particular way? It, now that it's over, it's easy to do that. And you brought up this point earlier on the radio show. You know, Shane Beamer told uh, the network before the game down on the field, hey, we're, field goals aren't going to win this game. And I think he's right on that. You know, um, I think South Carolina probably needed to be aggressive in some situations. No, now that we know how the game played out, it's easy to go back and say, hey, um, after that fake punt, unfortunately your drive stalls out, right? Um, you had, you you ran Juju McDowell on third and one and lost, lost a yard basically, you know, or or got stuffed. And so now you're at the Tennessee third and one, should you have kicked the field goal there, you know, to make it, what would it have been 14 to 13? Should you have done that? Well, you could say, yeah, I mean, you should have done that, made it a little bit closer, you know, You had a situation where you sneak Spencer Rattler. I don't think you can – you know, you should be able to get six inches, as Shane Beamer called it. You look at the situation backed up against your goal line. Should you have thrown the football there? Probably not. So I think there are a few game management things that you can look at. You can look at the play calling and things like that. But ultimately, South Carolina is not at a point as a program, as a team this year, where – they can can make mistakes like this and be able to overcome them. You can do those against teams that are not as good as you, right? You can make some mistakes against, you know, really the only team this year, Furman West. I mean, you could overcome some mistakes and not playing great. But with this schedule, with the teams that they're playing, and especially on the road against a really quality opponent in Tennessee, you can't run – you can't have a throw this a little bit behind a guy. You can't run a 10-yard route nine and a half yards – Right. You can't you've got to be able to finish drives um, in terms of knocking a pass away where a guy makes a great play like those little plays here and there. Tennessee just made more of them. And I think that's why we're in a position now where we're going over. Okay, how many crossing routes did they throw or what was the game management decision of of going for a a fourth and one or two versus kicking a field goal, a 49 yard field goal in a situation? Right if you're able to execute some of these other things that are a little bit more on the basic side, right, uh, you might have been a little bit more competitive in this game. Now, whether the other issues still have been there, yes. I mean, being able to run the ball consistently, that still would have been an issue. Um, Being able to pass protect, you know, on third and long situations or in passing downs, that would have still been an issue. But could it have made the game a lot more interesting, I think that's a fair question to ask, but uh, it, its I said this earlier, man, this game kind of reminded me of the UNC game and that some of the concerns that you had about this team coming in, they really manifested themselves in that game. Another game like UNC, like Tennessee, you had two interceptions by the quarterback and you stole a possession on special teams and you still lost by multiple touchdowns. And Really, it was a lot of the same issues that cropped up uh, that prevented them from having this one be closer.
1: Yeah, and I, honestly, I mean, for one, I I thought Tennessee was the better team after watching the game. Like, frankly, I just I I thought they were the better team. I thought they deserved to win the game. Um, the the three big plays slash sequences that we're talking about, you know, the pick six, the um, the missed on third and then fourth down twice, you know. That They happened, like, they were key plays in the game, but I, I just, I thought even those plays happened just because Tennessee, frankly, was was a little bit better than South yeah. Carolina. And, um, you know, I, dude, even, even knowing the outcome out of the three plays, the three sequences we're talking about, even knowing the outcome, I'd go for it on those fourth downs every single time. Like, you can make it look prettier by kicking a field goal, but you're you're not winning those get, you're not beating SEC teams like Tennessee at home in my opinion even knowing how it played out if you, you for, for one I'm guaranteed that you hit them for two now Mitch Jeter has shown he's going to hit almost every kick he takes but those are pretty long field goals and yeah. three dude, three points you know three points that that doesn't do much, I feel like. And who knows, maybe later on, Tennessee doesn't kick a field goal. They say, hey, now we're going to go for it. And they tack on seven instead of three of their own. So, you know, I, I can't look at the fourth down calls. They, they have managed the games through Beamer's entire tenure by saying we're going to be aggressive on fourth down. The analytics support it. If you're going to upset a team – you have you have to go for fourth downs. Like I firmly believe that, especially when your offense isn't staying on the field without going for fourth downs. So I, I go for it every time. Um, you know, now when you go for it on a fourth down, you're actually, in my opinion, you are increasing the volatility of what could happen. So you're increasing the chances that you pull an upset. You're also increasing the chances that you get beat worse if you don't get those. But give me that over just saying, oh, yeah, we kept it to within, you know, it ends up being a 13 point game or it, who cares? You either lose or you win. I don't think anybody's here. If you really like a lot, a few people were commenting, like, hey, kick the field goals. Just like a few people commented, UNC game, hey, kick the field goals. Dude, it's the fourth quarter in those games. <laughs> You're not kicking yeah. freaking field goals. Field well, goals don't win games. It doesn't
0: yeah. It doesn't work in this day and age. No, and, and Beamer has been pretty darn consistent with their approach, to your point, about how they're going to try to win games. And, look, I mean, it, I think everybody expected for Tennessee to score some points in this football game. Um, and you could tell Shane Beamer kind of planned on that, right? Like, coming in – you would love to be able to say, you know, Hey, I think we're going to hold Tennessee to 13 points. You know, yeah, you would love that. Is that realistic? No. And so clearly they planned on Tennessee hitting some, hitting some yards. I mean, Beamer even used that same terminology. Like they're going to get some yards. They're going to move the football. I don't know if he explicitly said they're going to score some points, but basically they are. And so you, you understanding that that's their approach again, I, the execution in those situations, much more than the decisions, to me, were at, at issue, right? You, you got to be able to, if, if you are going to pass the ball on a fourth and one, fourth and two, you need to be able to complete it. You need to be able to get six inches on a quarterback sneak, right? there's some things we can talk about as far as personnel and the play call and all that. I don't have as much of a problem as going for it in those situations. The, the one, and I'll go back to this, Wes, not to harp on this too much because I opened the, the show with it. The one situation that I would have to say I didn't understand, and and I know we have the bad outcome on the other side to point to, but throwing the football in that situation on the third and 22 backed up before the half didn't get that, right? Especially because I, I think you go in with a coaching point of, hey, um, even if you take a move up in the pocket and take a sack there, Right. You you want the clock to run. But on third and 22, if you're throwing a short pass to Omega Blake, even if that's your third or fourth read and he got the ball out pretty quickly, there probably needs to be a coaching point. Maybe there was, and and it wasn't conveyed or executed. You got to either throw the ball out of bounds, eat it, do anything but what happened. Right. And so obviously, that was a play that went sideways that everybody would like to have back. I think to avoid that, to go back to your phrasing, Wes, of risk-reward, That that's, that's probably just situationally a play you want to go in the other direction. Now, does South Carolina win the game if they just punt there and they go to the locker room down seven? I don't know. But what I do know is that play did severely hamper their opportunity to be able to stage a comeback. Again, they would have been down just seven at the half. Would Tennessee have come out? and had a 75-yard drive to start the second half still? Maybe, probably so, right? Uh, but then you're still in a better situation than you ended up being in. Uh,
1: assuming that Tennessee does not score before the end of the half as well. Right. If you
0: it so. uh, Assuming you just punt it and everybody goes into the half. Now, they may have, but maybe they don't. Maybe it's a field goal, right? It's revisionist history. I think, I think the point is, out of all these different situations we're talking about, that's the situation that I think people, if you're, if you have a gripe with that one, that one is probably the most fair to me. I think a lot of the other stuff was more of execution problems and, um, and problems that this team has had that have persisted that really, really showed up in this game.
1: Yeah. I mean, co- coaches aren't perfect, man. Everybody's going to make mistakes. You're going to have decisions you look back on. Sometimes you make the right decision, the outcome is wrong. Sometimes you make, the wrong decision, the outcome is right. In this case, that, that's the one out of the three that I'm with you, man. I I I just I, I don't think it was the right call. You probably just throw a quick screen to the outside or just hand the ball off. No, And I even, I even understand it felt like the Tennessee avalanche was about to kind of start because you're sitting there going, man, they're going to get the ball back. This is a very important drive. They're going to get the ball to start the second half. We got to stay on the field here. Let's go down and get three and take some momentum into the half. Like, I get the draw to want to do that, but the time to get that drive going was on first and second down. And uh, once you got into third down, hey Chris, even if this is a if this is a different offense, if this is an offense where you're sitting there saying, "Man, they haven't pressured Rattler all day long. He's just been picking them apart," that even changes the calculus. I think. Like, if I feel good about, hey, I'm going to drop back, I'm going to hit them downfield again. If this was last year, you know, they, they hit a deep dig route on Tennessee twice on third and long where they dropped back, they stepped up in the pocket and Rattler threw two dimes, two darts in there. If this was that, then, um, then yeah, I, I get it. But this was not that you had seen the, um, you had seen it start to pile up. You'd seen the pressure piling up on Rattler. The one-on-one battles you were not winning on the outside. I just, I, I get the want, I get the need to stay on the field there, but in this case, uh, that's probably just a call you want back, man. I was trying to remember. They they got positive yardage on first down on that drive, but then I think got sacked on second. Down. No, they got sacked on second down on the ensuing drive when they started at the 50 because you had a Tennessee personal foul. Then you had a Tennessee kick out of bounds. They started at the 50. There was a sack. Um, I'm trying to remember what even led into the third and long that led to the Tennessee touchdown. Um.
0: ESPN's play-by-play has memory hold that uh, that third down, and I'm I'm not remembering either, Wes. For some reason, it's not coming to my mind right was, now. Was there
1: a penalty on this play, dude? Because anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I don't think they were in third and twenty-two, are they? Really. That's what that's what I referenced earlier because I said that on the radio because that's what ESPN had it at. Um, yeah, that's what I anyway, said earlier. It was third and very long. Um, in that situation, and Tennessee's been hitting your quarterback. I'm going to try to pull it up on the iPad while we're, while we're talking about it just for um, complete accuracy's sake. But um, so another – we'll come back to that once I get an answer. But I, I much discussed, and I've seen um, Xavier Manley here mention it a couple times. Um, and, again, this is not me just defending every decision. I just said I, I did not like the decision to throw the ball there. Third and one handoff to Juju McDowell. I I actually do I, I get it because he was already on the field. And um you're in you're in a spread formation. I kind of feel like I should be able to get a yard. Now I, I get, you know, the the obvious is that I didn't if I'm making that decision. But if I'm doing it ten times over, we've seen Tennessee, first of all, that's the slowest subbing team on the planet. And they yeah. do that on purpose, I promise you. Yeah. They sub the guys in and out at a snail's pace. They get you off your rhythm. If Anderson was already in the game. Then that's the best case scenario, right? If, but but he wasn't. So Juju's in, and they they didn't use like super up tempo on that play. I don't think they didn't like run to the line of scrimmage, but they stayed in rhythm. And you probably already knew you were going for it on a fourth down. So I get a hundred percent the argument. I've said even before Mario Anderson was playing that I thought he should be your short yardage back. Mm -hmm. So I understand the argument. Perfect world scenario. You, you sub him out, but if you sub him in, then you're probably, all right, are we going goal line? You're letting them put in some of their run stuffers. We saw literally later on South Carolina in a third and short with Mario Anderson in the game. They run the football They get stopped then anyway. That was right before the fourth down quarterback sneak in the other sequence. So, yes, we have evidence Juju did not get the yard for the first down. We also have the evidence that it didn't matter the next time you're in the exact same situation. So, um, and then, you know, a couple people saying, can you get Juju on the edge there? If you run Juju on the edge, everybody's saying, why did you run the ball on the edge on third and (laughs) one?
0: So, yeah
1: and most of the time you should be able to block for one yard
0: yes, if you uh excuse me, wes, full disclosure, everyone. I'm under the weather, so if I start having a fit and disappear, that will be why um that that's the bottom line, wes. It goes back to what I said earlier. Um, the margin of error for this team is so low that that's why we're analyzing which back was in on a third and one. Now those things matter because for this South Carolina team, they're not good enough just to have, you know, they, they can't cover up mistakes, right? Uh, very well right now. They're not so dominant that they can just have, bring a C game and win football games. They're not, they're not good enough at that, at this point. And actually there are very, very, very few college football teams that are. I mean, Georgia brought probably a C game west to Auburn and almost got beat. I mean, it came very close to getting beat. Um, so that's, but that's why we analyze this thing. I mean, it goes back to you should be able to block for a third and one, and, ha- and, and Juju McDowell should be able to get a yard, you know, or. Mario Anderson or DeKaryon Joyner or, heck, even DJ Braswell or Wes Mitchell. I mean, you should be able to get a third one. You should be able to get a fourth in inches, right? You should be able to get those things. And, um, you know, the fact that they can't is why we're analyzing, okay, who was in the game and things of that nature. So, But that's kind of that's kind of where it is. You know, when when things go wrong, we are left to analyze what could have been What could the call have been different? What could have been done differently in the situation? The reality is you'd like for South Carolina to get to the point where you can just line up and run the football. And we saw a variety of situations where it didn't work, right? We saw the Juju McDowell situation. We saw Mario Anderson come up short. We saw Spencer Rattler come up short on a quarterback sneak. We saw them come up short passing the football on a fourth and short. We saw basically not every scenario you can think of, but we saw multiple ones. And they failed all those tests, right? And that's why they were – not all of them. They failed almost all those tests. And that's why when you go back and look at the numbers, they were so poor on third and fourth down. And that was a huge um, – I was a huge factor in the game. And one of their third, one of their third and longs, they go and, and they pass the football and they give up a pick six.
1: I, uh, and I, I just re-watched the, uh, the sequence we're talking about, the juju one. And, yeah, so they, they completed a pass to Tyshawn Russell just short of the sticks um, is that is that what beamer was talking about somebody running the ball or running a route short of the sticks when you need them to get depth is that the play he was talking about or well,
0: another one Wes, um, so there was the you're gonna have to jog my memory I believe there was a fourth down third is Xavier Leggett where he ran the route short of the sticks
1: okay yeah
0: and, and I was thinking now it could have been it could have been both but that's the one that really came to mind for me because it was a it was a critical one you know that that's the yeah. one i thought of
1: yeah now that, this let me make sure i got all my detail this is a second and eight and it's about a 7 yard route and throw now they're in empty rush is coming in rattler has to throw the ball early like i just watching it maybe on a piece of paper this route is supposed to be deeper in reality, they kind of did everything they could just to get this ball complete, just to give them credit. Like games aren't played on paper, we know that. Um, but so South Carolina stays in three receiver personnel. They do actually bring some tempo. Like they they line up fairly quickly. Tennessee is they get lined up, but they're really not in. That keeps them out of a run box. Like there's a safety creeping up. The safety doesn't even factor into the play the uh the line on the left side is just pushed back like it just it kind of is what it is I don't know I don't know if I don't know anybody and I, I wish I could just cast this to the screen and show y'all but the second we do that they'll kick us off the stream but the right side actually blocked it pretty well the center and the right side blocked it pretty well left side got knocked back and um you know, it, it is what it is. So, the uh, – I feel like that's something we've all kind of maybe circled. Like, oh, man, why was Juju not in the game? Like, this is – I think it's almost a red herring. Like, I don't really think it's – like, this sequence is huge. You needed to stay on the field. I don't know if the personnel at running back – we see teams do that all the time where you stay in a – In the same formation, same personnel, just so you can keep your opponent, keep the defense in the same personnel as well.
0: Yeah, and then, but then that goes to okay, we'll call a different play, or you know, I I think all of it goes back though, Wes, to that like the fact that they couldn't get that with Juju, or get the fourth and short, or like it's all a symptom of the fact they can't consistently get third and shorts. Like running the football, right? We saw them pass the ball in fourth and short. That's because they don't think they can get they don't think they can line up and run the foot run the football. And they're right, because there's plenty of evidence, if the coaching staff believes that, there's plenty of evidence that they have not been able to. So that's the bigger underlying issue. Xavier Manley West, by the way, he did his film study. So I do remember Shane Beamer having a little chat with Omega Blake, and I thought to myself, it, it, it looks like he's telling him, hey, you ran that route too short. I, I think it's that and others. I think there were probably multiple instances of that in the game. I mean, the one with uh, Xavier Leggett on, I believe it was a fourth down. To me, now, maybe it was called that way. If so, that's another issue. But the route was definitely short of the sticks on that one.
1: Is that a, Are you talking about a downfield route or the uh, the fourth and one where he's just in the flat?
0: Yeah, the one in the flat.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, as Tennessee breaks off a run on my replay here, um, he definitely was short of the sticks on. But I, I don't. That's kind of a play where you're kind of, you're kind of feeling where that defender is too. I feel like, and usually. You're trying to get to the first down marker, but you're trying to give yourself space so that, like, I, I feel like in a perfect world, that throw kind of leads him upfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then his momentum, because if you get too deep on that, the defender's momentum kind of has the advantage there, I feel like. But I, but good call by uh, Manley. I, I, I remember actually on, uh, Beamer was getting on him a little bit on that one-handed catch that he was out of bounds on, um, as well. I don't know if that's the same one he's talking about, but it was. Um, that was an incredible catch, by the way. I know it wasn't a catch by the rules, but I, I mean, dude, dude has some hands. Like I can see why he is kind of, uh, kind of, uh, continue to come on a little bit. What what did you think, Chris, about the receivers in general? Like, um, actually, before we before we hit that, let's uh, let's try to space these things out. Well, Chris, and uh, tell everybody about our friend Trey and how they can find him at Trey Helps.
0: Yeah, you might be wondering why is his social media profiles on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Trey Helps? That's because Trey Harrell can help you. He's an auto accident attorney. Right here in the great state of South Carolina, helping folks injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country. Obviously, we all hope that you're never in that situation. But if you are and you need somebody who's going to fight for you, fight to get what you deserve, fight for your rights, you're going to need to find an attorney who helps. And that is Trey Harrell. Trey Harrell helps you. AttorneyHarrell.com, auto accident attorney right here in the state of South Carolina. If you want some very helpful tips um, in the legal realm, you can follow him on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. Give him a follow. Trey Helps, at Trey Helps. Go check out his website, attorneyherald.com. Big Gamecock fan, big supporter of the show. We appreciate his support of the show. Appreciate him helping us bring you GC Live a couple times a week. That's attorneyherald.com, Trey Harrell, auto accident attorney.
1: Yeah, so Chris, I was asking wide receiver play. I always follow, especially when he has South Carolina's game, uh, Cole Kubelik. I think he does a fantastic job. Um, You know, he tweets out sort of his thought. He watches every single game um, on Sunday somehow and then tweets out some thoughts. And he mentioned, you know, at times there were receivers that were open that that were just missed. And, um, you know, I personally didn't. I don't think that's kind of like what you think of traditionally. Like, hey, that guy was open. Then I see my quarterback standing there, throws the ball, and he just misses. Didn't really see much of that. But maybe there were some guys open down the field at times and the ball didn't get out. Maybe he doesn't see them. Maybe he's getting hit. Maybe the pressure forces him out of the pocket. But for the most part, man, especially compared to last year where – Carolina's winning one-on-one receiver battles down the field over and over again. It, it just felt like Tennessee's coverage was, was a lot tighter. You know, we heard Spencer Rattler say some of those sacks were coverage sacks. Is that him a little bit maybe taken up for his offensive line to an extent? Uh, Like, I I don't know the mix of what was a coverage sack. What was an O-line sack? Sometimes, um, their pass rush was there pretty quickly, to be frank. Um, But I also believe him and take him at his word that there, you know, it certainly seemed like there were times where he dropped back, was looking downfield. He hasn't really been shy this year about firing the football out. So I kind of feel like if we're there and open, that just was not the case on Saturday. I thought Tennessee covered South Carolina's receivers probably as well as anybody they faced this year.
0: Yeah, they did. Um and and that combined with great pressure up front by Tennessee, you know, was was not a winning formula for the Gamecocks, of course. And I think Spencer's done a pretty good job after games west of just kind of calling it like it is and it, yeah, he's not going to throw anybody under the bus and uh he's been critical of himself even at times. I mean, I think it was uh was it last week after the Mississippi State game, he said, "Hey, I, I ran myself into a couple sacks." A couple of those are on me and he kind of praised the O-line. So I know Cole Hublick, who you referenced a minute ago, Wes, he noted on Twitter that there were some opportunities with some open wide receivers, but Wes, for the ones I saw, you know, a lot of times you did not have time, you know, down down the field for downfield opportunities, too many third longs, too many situations where Tennessee was able to heat you up even more Um in terms of the pass rush. And so I thought that it was, it was a lot more of just simply not getting open. Um, and I think Shane Beamer referenced that in his post game too. Right. And that's why he's talking about trying to get more wide receivers ready to play. You, you had a Marion Brown out there. Uh, he was not as big of a factor. I, I, he was not a hundred percent was not supposed to be a hundred percent in the game. You still don't have juice. Well's, so you're still not playing with your full complement of wide receivers. This was expected to be a big strength for you this year. You know, we all—I think we all thought Xavier Leggett would make a leap based on his preseason. I don't know if we anticipated this big of a leap. And then you thought you'd have juice, and you thought you had AB who had a, a big spring, a big preseason as well. Um, and those things have not gone according to plan. So what that means is you got to get some other guys ready. And Wes, it's hard to do that given the issues that you've also had up front. I think those things are kind of really in conflict with each other. It'd be easier to be able to bring along some younger guys if you had, <clears throat> had a, a run game and b better protection up front. And so all those things need to work in concert. It's not as simple as just saying, put some other guys out there and boom, things will be fixed. Now it is necessary for them to get better in these areas. They do need to be able to run the ball better. Uh, they do need to be able to protect better. They do have to bring along some receivers. But how how they do that, I think, is a big challenge. And there are other challenges ahead, Wes. I mean, I was just reading another stat from Cole. I think it was from Cole. Texas A&M, one of the few FBS teams since 2008 that's had 15 tackles for loss in back-to-back games, Um, they did that against Arkansas and Auburn. And so, of course – the Aggies on South Carolina's schedule. South Carolina struggled a lot with negative plays, so you can see these things continuing to be an issue if they don't find some solutions. And uh, getting healthy, man, is is one part of it, right? But it's it's only one part of it.
1: Yeah, a huge part of it. But some, you know, some some of these things they're just going to have to kind of fight their way out of. Like you can keep bringing guys along, but um, you know, offensive line issues are it's gonna take development. I, I do I do think I think a guy like Tree, he's a true freshman, man. Like he yeah, he has held his own. And um that was certainly, I'm sure he would say a forgettable game on on Saturday, but he's gonna be fine. I, I think that was his kind of welcome to the SEC moment, even though he held up very well against Georgia, very well against Mississippi State. Anytime, you know, I think it goes back to everybody wants to play true freshman, but sometimes true freshman is going to have a game like that. And, you know, I, I think he'll only get better because of it, but those are the growing pains you're going to face when you're in a situation where, you know, instead of being able to just bring him along and say, hey, bring you bring you along in practice, get you a drive or two in a game, you're saying, hey, man, go play. And we really don't have options to even give you a series off to kind of catch your breath, you know. Um, And and I'm talking more not physically. I just mean, like, from a mental standpoint, like, hey, everything's okay. Let's just take a series off, then we'll get you back in there. That's where the lack of depth, uh, I think, has really hurt this team as well. You just don't have a ton of options to rotate in there on the offensive line. All right, we've talked a ton about the offense. Let's talk a little defense, Chris. And, um, you know, I, I thought some good things, obviously some not so good things. Tennessee had a very balanced attack, uh, you know, around 250 yards rushing and passing. I think it was 268 yards rushing. Um, they had the long run early for a touchdown. They busted off a couple of others. There were some others where I thought South Carolina played it pretty well up front, but Tennessee just does such a good job of spacing, where they spread you out. Then they got quick guys at, at a running back thought they bounced some outside on South Carolina when they really had everything kind of pinned up in the middle. And um, some some of it was give Tennessee credit, in my opinion, but some of it was just kind of, um, you know, a guy gets bounced out of a spot, you don't set the edge, stuff like that. And against a team like this, um, it, it can be a tough scheme to account for, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I had the same thought, you know, going through the game. There were several instances where you're going, man, they, they've got them pinned in, and here's a, a six- or seven-yard game for Tennessee, yeah. right? It was, I'm sure, very frustrating for Shane Beamer and the coaching staff and, and the players on defense to watch. But, um, you know, th- this scheme we knew is very difficult. And while they lost some key guys, they still got really good players. The running backs, we talked about it, three deep, really going into the game, we saw all those guys – uh, do some really good things. Um, we saw them at times use the short passing game as kind of an extension of the run game. And one thing that Shane Beamer pointed out, Wes, is Tennessee had too much success in his mind being able to throw that quick slant, right? South Carolina was pretty aggressive defensively. That, that was one of our questions. Would they, you know, sit back a little bit and just kind of play ball and let Tennessee throw it out there? No, they, they were pretty aggressive Uh, And They got hit on a couple downfield balls, but mostly it was running the football, um, Tennessee getting some perimeter throws, getting some quick slants out there, and just being able to kind of consistently move the ball. Joe Milton didn't throw the ball down the field a lot. Squirrel White had the one great catch, and then a couple other downfield balls were picked off by D.Q. Smith and and Jalen Kilgore, which was a positive for the defense. But, yeah, I thought it was too many – yeah, you know, there are times where they it was just inconsistent. I guess is the best word. There are times when they stopped the run well, times when they didn't, and and certainly when you look at the stat line, Wes, for the running game, uh, it was it was kind of ugly in that regard.
1: Yeah, it was man. And I, it, it sounds crazy. I do actually. I feel like this year we have seen improvements as far as the run D. I don't I don't know if the stats really back that up at all, but it it has felt to me like. In the past, we've just seen South Carolina kind of get knocked around up front. This year, they've played a good bit better, I feel like, at the point of attack. Um, You know, it's just you still have to complete the play. Um, Still Curtin saying bad tackling. I don't don't even know if it was that, man. Honestly, I mean, let's see. PFF had South Carolina at eight eight missed missed tackles in the game
0: yeah that, that's not a horrible number you know uh d q Smith did miss an open field tackle on one of the touchdown runs um i think maybe the first one actually uh i don't i don't think that was it was that terrible of an open field tackling issue eight eight's not an awful number in a game is it you might say it's eight too many yeah you're not you're not gonna get out of a football game and not have a single missed tackle um i think it was a little bit more of the two things, in my opinion, the two things that I mentioned that was, you know, yards gained after contact or like you said, Wes, being patient and being able to bounce a run outside or into a different gap when you're maybe initially hemmed in. That's where I think we saw Tennessee's depth at running back and their talent level there kind of shine through. And then I think too many easier access throws. Um, I think we saw that as well. They moved Nick even more to nickel. He played almost every snap at that slot corner nickel position. But that is different than playing, you know, Cam Smith last year, playing every snap at the nickel position too.
1: Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm trying to give everybody some context. La- so, the week before, South Carolina had six missed tackles on defense. Um, wow. Jo- so – South Carolina, eighteen missed tackles against Georgia. So I kind of think isn't like isn't about eight to ten kind of a pretty normal number in the course of a football game. Like you're 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 gonna have missed tackles. You obviously don't want many of them. They had uh, six against Mississippi State, a ton against Georgia, eight against Tennessee. Um, now granted, hey some. Some missed tackles are, hey, my guy didn't break down and wrap up and do what they were supposed to. Some tack, some missed tackles are, hey, my opponent got the guy in space and said, you got to tackle him on an island. And guess what? The guy's really quick and and really slippery. So there, these things are matchup based as well, which I think it's easy to forget and just look at it from your team's perspective. Whereas you got to remember. That opponent, uh, you know, he's pretty good himself. He's he's doing some things. He's playing at the yeah, SEC man. level too. So, I don't was, know, man. yeah, go I, ahead. Mentioned, I
0: mentioned the you know aside from and five missed tackles forced by Tennessee's running backs, but I mentioned the yards after contact. You know, stat they had per PFF that 133 yards after contact, um, and yeah. that was like a, a combination of uh that, that was on all their rushes. Squirrel White, I think, had a rush in the game as well. But their running backs basically had 130 yards after contact. So I think that was even bigger than a missed tackle, you know, in the box. I know on the on the DQ Smith play I referenced, that was a pretty big um, miss because there were a lot of yards after contact after that one. But um, the yards after contact, I think, even bigger than just the, the missed tackle metrics, right? If you miss six or eight tackles and you're limiting the yards after contact, that can be an okay number, actually. But that hundred and thirty-three yards after contact, that's that's not as good of a number.
1: Dylan, Tennessee fan, uh coming in peace, it sounds like. So we'll uh we'll throw his comment up here. He says it helps a lot to have three running backs that can dominate at any time. He says we, again, we being Tennessee in this case, we subbed our running backs as soon as they got gassed and kept pounding the rock. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a valid point dylan three three backs that can all um they just all have a great skill set i feel like like they can run through tackles they run to daylight good vision good speed they keep them very very fresh um very i I felt like i don't know it felt to me like tennessee was kind of finding themselves on on offense in this game they kind of i believe found out what they're probably going to be For the rest of the year, I I mean, I was impressed with their offense, honestly. Uh, Somebody else weighing in saying it's silly not to take the points. It could have been 26-34. to Baylor came back from 28 down by initially kicking a field goal. All right, well, if the one in 300,000 times that somebody's come back from down 28 late in the game is your example, then... I don't know if that's going to make your point or not, but I just I, – I don't – guys, I don't believe in the game of, well, if this is the score and I didn't kick a field goal, I can just tack on six points and it would have been six points closer. Like that – you have no idea what decision – it's the butterfly effect. What next decision would have been made differently? And the next decision, the next decision. Typically, all the analytics say – just kicking field goals, especially when you're a ten-plus point underdog, is not going to put you in a position to win games. Am I? the The real what if is what if you could have executed well enough to convert the fourth downs and stay on the field, and then see what happens. Then you got a yeah. whole other scenario of of uh, butterfly effects of how would it have played out. But ultimately, ten, ultimately Tennessee just played better. Like they they won the game. Like I, I think we got to give them credit, but um, I I don't I don't think you you don't win this game kicking field goals. You just don't.
0: It seemed like there was a huge appetite, from what I recall, after Will Muschamp's departure at South Carolina for a, a more aggressive approach. Like that's what I remember. I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. And so again, it's it's probably not. Not as much of a talking point. If they if they, if they convert most of those or, or at least more of those situations, especially the fourth downs and the, the short, the third and shorts, then maybe the game goes differently and maybe people are applauding it saying, hey, you got to be aggressive on the road to go win a football game. You know, kudos. You can't kick field goals. So I, I think the outcome of the game can sometimes color, you know, the way we think about it.
1: Yeah, the uh, – dude, they went – for multiple fourth downs last year, converted them. They they went for one right off the bat on the first drive of the game that set them up to go score a touchdown. And I mean, do, do they have the historic night they did if they chicken out at that point, kick a field goal, go up three nothing, and then Tennessee bites right back and scores and goes up seven to three in Columbia? Like you I don't think you can what if the game away and say, Man, those those two possible field goals could have changed the entire outcome. I I don't I don't really believe that's the way football uh, works personally. Um, all right, let's start to close this thing out, Chris. Um, we've been rocking the bird dogs so much that uh, our wives have requested that we buy new clothes from bird dogs. Yes. but uh, trade trade it in for some new colors. I know uh, I've been all about the polo shirt. That thing is soft, comfy. And uh, I know you've been all about rocking the bird dogs shorts as well.
0: Yes, I uh, told you I, I took a picture of the bird dog shirt and said I was going to send it to your lovely wife just as a, as a troll uh, because she is he, she has come to. To think that we are wearing them too much. And uh, didn't we didn't we have them on at the same time the other day, Wes? We did. We walked in a room and we both had on the bird dog shirt. That's how much we love it. The shorts, man, absolutely outstanding. I have been absolutely wearing them out. I think we're going to need bird dogs to maybe send us some more. Uh, but they're very durable is what I've noticed. A lot of times you wear shorts a ton. They're going to wear out. These things are awesome. They've got the liner on the inside. But on the outside, they look nice enough to where you can go to something, you know, a little party, a little formal. Uh, you look nice in them, and then they feel absolutely fantastic. And I think if you, uh, Wes, our promo code still live on birddogs.com.
1: Well, I haven't been told it's not, so we're just going gonna to say that it is. It's free Bird Dogs Hydro Flask-style water bottle. There you go. Put the promo code Gamecocks or just go to birddogs.com slash Check it out. promise you it'll be good. All right, Chris, um, I can tell you're fading. We've hit on about every angle of this thing. Any, um, any final thoughts that we did not hit? You got a final takeaway before we move into bye week as the week rolls on?
0: My, my thoughts immediately went to goals to accomplish during the bye week. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday practice this week, right, Wes? So the schedule, a little bit different for this team during the bye week um, before they get into Florida prep next week. Florida, by the way, 3.30 game. It was announced earlier for those of you who may have missed that. Um, so I'm going to actually table my thoughts, Wes, because they all relate to the bye week. They're all more big picture stuff. We're going to have plenty of time throughout the rest of this week to dive into
1: I want to throw a little bit of love to one South Carolina football player, Chris. This guy is a dude. That would be Jalen Kilgore. Freshman, playing his tail off, a bunch of tackles, interception. um, Pretty good in all facets. I think he's the most sure tackler on the entire football team. Honestly, I'd love to see what his – missed tackle rate is because it's gotta be incredibly low. And also I was thinking about this earlier today, man. Arguably has been South Carolina's best player on defense from a consistency standpoint. Tell tell me I'm wrong.
0: Rick, no, I, I can see it. I mean from a consistency, it, it's hard, hard to say, no, that's crazy. That's not true.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I was trying to think through five games, like who who has been the best player. And I think you can kind of point out, you know, this guy had a great game here. This guy had a great game there. But as far as just steady the whole way, um, I think Marcellus Dial has like quietly been very steady through five games. TJ think,
0: Sanders is probably one you could point to.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I, I think TJ has been more, TJ's probably been actually their biggest difference maker. Like he's, He's stepped up. He's made a bunch of plays for you, especially the last um, the last few weeks. I think obviously he got banged up on Saturday, but TJ's maybe been your best player overall. I think maybe, but defensively, I think Jalen's been your most consistent guy. And then just to add in all the tackles this past week, key interception. You know, it, it's impressive, man. I like you can see why they're doing everything they can to t- to keep Kilgore, DQ Smith and Nick Emanwari on the field. And, and I actually I do think that Emanwari to, I was about to say spur, that's what it used to be, to, to the nickel spot, I think that can stick. I do still think you need to try to find a cornerback who can play there situationally. Maybe that's a bye week goal. I don't know. I don't know if you can do that in a, in a bye week. But uh, just to give you a couple more options. But I, I do think I think Emanwari can hold down that spot for you. And it's a very intriguing potential answer to that question there. Um, Steel Curtain saying, Kilgore is a dog. Grateful to have him and Mario. Yeah, Mario Anderson, man. He's come on strong. He probably deserves a shout-out as well. We are working on, hopefully, we're going to have Mario Anderson. Garnet Trust, our exclusive, later this week. So be on the lookout for that on the Gamecock Central YouTube and on 107.5 The Game. All right, y'all, that's it for now. He is Chris, I am Wes. Appreciate y'all joining us here for the review of South Carolina's loss to Tennessee. Hopefully this has been cathartic of you to, or for you to talk about it and share your feelings a little bit. Um, But until next time, he is Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.